Well, this is it. Surely it's too good to be true, isn't it? Isn't this too good to be true, a dead man coming to life? Look, we've just read that even the disciples had doubts. The disciples, those that followed him for three years, those that watched, those that saw the miracles, those that heard him teach, those that saw him at the cross, even the disciples had doubts. I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and you have doubts about the reality of the day that we're celebrating. Perhaps you've been a Christian for years and years and years and yet Easter morning, the, resurrecting, the resurrection morning, there's still something within you that asks the question, really? Isn't this too good to be true? Could it possibly have happened as Matthew records? Jesus was dead. Jesus died as anyone will. And now the claim is that he is alive. There is so much at stake here. So much at stake. Dead people do not come back to life. The finality about death is gut-wrenchingly sad. I had a message from a friend this week who told me that his mother had died after 68 years of living. And his line opened on the WhatsApp simply saying, Dorothy, our dear mother, left this world peacefully at 4am this morning. Is it all too good to be true? Death comes to us all. It is gut-wrenchingly sad. And yet, here is the story about a man who defeats death. See, Matthew writes his resurrection narrative so that we might ask, whose story is most believable? Is it the women or is it the soldiers? We've read about the disciples and many still have their doubts, even though they see the resurrected Jesus in front of him. But Matthew writes this story so that we might go the women or the soldiers. The testimony of the women or the testimony of the soldiers. Whose story is most believable? And this is the question for you. It's the question for me this morning. Will I trust in the witness of the women? Will I trust in the witness of the soldiers? It's like the professor in The Line of Witch in the Wardrobe, if you've seen that movie or read the book. When Peter and Lucy tell him about the difference of the story of going into the wardrobe, the difference from Lucy's account and the difference from Edmund's account. And the professor asks the question, And Edmund is the most truthful, is he? And Peter and Susan stumble. No. No, he's never usually. And it's the same question for us this morning because the stakes are a little bit higher than Lucy and Edmund going into the wardrobe. The stakes are about how we deal with death. Is it the women's testimony? Or is it the soldier's testimony? Testimony, And here Matthew writes his story. And Matthew writes it with dripping irony. We go back to Matthew 27. Follow with me, uh, if you will, or listen to these words in verse 62. 
uh, to 66. Listen carefully. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Notice what? They call Jesus that deceiver. But look as Matthew records the story. The tables have turned. It's the Pharisees. It's the chief priests. They're the ones who are doing the deceiving. Verse 11 of chapter 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And then verse 15, the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The body of Jesus has been stolen. Who is the world in generations to come most likely to believe? The women or the soldiers? But here's the thing. You see, women in that ancient Middle Eastern culture were not to be believed. Roman culture discriminated against the testimony of a woman. They were not credible. So the soldiers or the women, who's it to be? Why does Matthew record that the women were the first witnesses at the tomb? Matthew sees the women as credible when society doesn't, culture doesn't. Women would to be discredited. Why does Matthew record that these were the first eyewitnesses? Why? Well, Matthew sees them as credible because God sees them as credible. He's not concerned with winning cultural brownie points. He just wants to tell the truth. You see, if you and I were to win over cultural brownie points, or if we were to determine the truth, we wouldn't have mentioned the women at that time. No, no, no. People would have gone, women? The testimony of women? No. We're not having that. We'd have just gone with other gospel writers. We'd have just gone with Peter and John. We'd have just gone with the disciples. We'd have just gone with them, the men. See what they found. But women, but Matthew is not concerned with the cultural brownie points. He's concerned with the truth. And let's go back into the story of the women's eyewitness account. Because it is remarkable. 
Look at verse 2. There was a violent earthquake. Imagine the women were heading to the tomb and they got there ready to anoint the body of Jesus. Of course, they were expecting the tomb, the stone over the entrance. They're expecting to find the body and look what happens. They can't take it in. There was a violent earthquake, verse 2. An angel of the Lord rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel of the Lord was like lightning to look at and clothes were white as snow. And the guards fell around like dead men. Oh, what a scene that must have been. I'm sure in your mind's eye you've got that scene. Have you got that scene that first morning? Maybe you've been to the garden tomb in in Jerusalem. Kerry and I went um, around 15 years ago. And it was magnificent, glorious to be in the garden of Gethsemane. And to be potentially where Jesus' body was laid, the garden tomb. I've got that picture in my mind's eye. But but it's really hard to, to try and picture the violent earthquake. We've seen many earthquakes on the news, haven't we, in the last few years? But a violent earthquake that shook the ground. And then an angel of the Lord that you couldn't even look at because he was like lightning. Now if, I've, if you're anything like me and you see lightning, every time you see it, there's a big whoa that goes up, right? You see lightning and the fort lightning comes across the sky. Whoa, there it is again. Look, look. It's the women, the garden too. The angel is like lightning to look at. His clothes were as white as snow and the guards fell around like dead men. What a scene. What a scene. And the angel's just sitting on a stone. It's almost like it could be comedy. The angel has rolled a stone away that would take at least 12 soldiers to roll up against the the entrance of the tomb. And the angel just rolls the stone away and then sits on the stone. Hi. Who are you you looking for? Oh, marvellous. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. But you fill in the blanks, but I don't know what you're doing around here. Mary, Mary, what are you doing around here? No, no, you shouldn't be here. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but don't come looking around here. Why? Verse 6, he is not here. For he has risen, just as he said. He's been talking about that a lot. Come and see. Look, just come and see the place where they laid him. And so can you imagine Mary and Mary peering into the garden tomb. He's not here. The linen cloth sat on the floor. And the angel picks up the conversation. You see, he's risen. 
then go quickly, tell his disciples. He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Then you will see him. See what the angel does, bear witness. Women, Mary, Mary, bear witness. You're the eyewitnesses. So go, go and speak to the disciples. Tell them that he has risen from the head from, from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee and so off they go. And as they go, I mean, can you imagine the scene, what they've witnessed? But as they go, full of fear, full of joy, they meet Jesus with four words that change the course of history forever. See how Matthew records them? Suddenly, Jesus met them. Matthew, so matter of fact, suddenly Jesus met them. The women were so afraid, yet filled with joy. And suddenly Jesus met them. Hi. Or greetings, says here. And they came to him. Imagine that scene. And they fell at his feet and clasped them. And they worshipped him. Imagine the emotion. Imagine the feeling. Isn't this just too good to be true? He was crucified. But now he lives. He's alive. Jesus. So matter of fact. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Why Galilee? The angels already said it. Jesus has said it too. Meet me in Galilee. Meet me there. Why Galilee? Jesus is saying to the two Marys, Mary, we're going back home. Do you remember where it all started? Do you remember where I met you? Do you remember when I called the disciples? It was there. It was there in Galilee as the prophets had foretold. Now we go back. I'll meet you there. We go back to the place where it all started. Is it too good to be true? I'm sure the Marys were screaming within themselves. Is this too good to be true? And we've got to ask the question this morning for ourselves. Is it too good to be true? Because this changes Everything. If Jesus comes back from the dead, it changes everything. Read these words uh, with me in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17. This is what Paul says. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, who are dead, they are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's saying, look, you see the resurrection? It really matters. Everything, in fact, rides on this truth. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Go home, Mary, Mary. No, no, the soldiers just... They're, they're, they're right. The disciples came in the night and stole the body. Go home. Do you see how much hinges on this truth? The testimony of the women or the testimony 
of the soldiers. This really matters. Look, there's the story, and I know I've not done it justice in your mind's eye. You'll have painted that picture. You'll have been in the, the, the garden. You'll have seen the garden tomb. You'll have seen the angels sitting on the stone looking like lightning, as pure as, and white as wool, as snow. You'll have got some picture in your mind's eye. So, why does it matter? Why does it matter? I've said repeatedly, everything hinges on this. Well, 1 Peter 1 verse 3 helps us see this. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's overflowing as he begins to, in a few short sentences, describe the good news of Jesus. And right at the heart of the good news of Jesus is the truth of the resurrection. And Peter looks at two things, and we're just going to look at those two things as we apply very quickly to ourselves today. He says that the resurrection enables us to live gloriously today. And he also says that the resurrection ensures that there's a a glorious future ahead. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, says Peter as he starts to unpack the good news of Jesus. He starts with praise, he cannot contain himself. It's usually at the end of the summary of the gospel, the writers go then with praise. See what I've written now, I'm going to praise God, but he can't contain himself. Like a child this morning on the sunrise walk of those of you who were there. Only a few I noticed, others already have uh, given apologies that they're in bed. That's okay. But as we ripped open a bag of mini eggs... And the adults politely just took one, pop, pop, pop. But a child who will go unnamed for this story ran up to the bag. Big hand in. It's 6.30 in the morning and someone's offering me mini eggs. The child can't contain himself. He goes in with a big hand and he pulls out a load of mini eggs and off he sneaks before his parents try and... Try and clock him. Well, you've already got a a clue that it's a a boy. (laughs) But no more than that. You see, here's Peter and he similarly can't contain himself. He's like he's he's grabbing. Uh, It's like he, he, he just wants to get the news out quickly. Spills over. He's grabbing those mini eggs and they're spilling out everywhere. Everywhere, It's one of the greatest descriptions of the gospel. Here's Peter and look what he says as we come to that point. The resurrection enables us to live gloriously today. Peter says that God is the central character. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his great mercy, he has given us new hope. He's given us new birth into a living hope. It's his mercy. Peter's saying, look, he did not give us what our sins merited. He didn't give me what... My sins merited before a holy God. You see what God should have given me? What was rightly due to me? My rejection of him meant his judgment was rightly mine. 
But in his mercy, he did not give me what I do deserve. In his mercy, great mercy, he has given me new birth. What does that mean? It means that he's given us new hearts, complete transformation. Do you see, believing in Jesus doesn't make things better. Believing in Jesus doesn't give you a a more wholesome or satisfied life. Believing in Jesus is total transformation. It's new birth. The old has gone and the new has come. He doesn't give me what I deserve. But what he does give me is something I do not deserve. It's, It's new birth. And we'll see as demonstrated later on in the pool, Josh and Abby will demonstrate this new birth. They will die and then they'll be brought back to life. It's complete transformation. And it's into a living hope. The Bible calls this living hope confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in his faithfulness. It's all what he's done. It's all what he's promised. Living hope. You see, the resurrection enables us to live gloriously today. Let's apply this. Are you lonely? The resurrection says that the God of the universe is the one that loves you deeply. Deeply enough to send his own son to die in your place so that you can be with him for eternity. Lonely? He's got you. You're his. Are you anxious about the day ahead, the week ahead, the month or years to come? The resurrection enables us to live gloriously today, knowing that every worry he's taken upon himself. You feel guilty? Guilty for things that keep haunting you, things of the past? The resurrection says, don't go there. Because Jesus has dealt with them on his shoulders. You feel desperate about life. Some area of life that you can't control. You've not got a handle on. The resurrection says. You're mine. I'm yours. There's nothing too difficult for me to handle. Trust me. Do you feel invincible? Feel as though you don't need the truth about Jesus. The resurrection says. No, no, no. You will face death and it will come to an end. But in me, only in me, what I've done, will you find true hope forever. So this is grace, unmerited favour. This is generous. This is lavish. This is glorious forgiveness that cannot be earned, sealed with the resurrection, saying everything that happened on the cross is true. Trust. The resurrection enables us to live gloriously today. And then lastly, the resurrection ensures a glorious future ahead. Look at verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. New birth into a living hope moves us into an inheritance. Entitled to receive all that the Father has for the Son All that God the Father has for Jesus the Son is mine, is yours. It's life with him. 
forever. Look, it's secure. It can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. And it's kept in heaven for us. Do you know where you're going? It's the story of Pilgrim's progress as Christian is met by strangers along the way and they keep asking him, where have you come from and where are you going? And he's certain. I have left the city of destruction, says Christian, and I am heading to the celestial city. What a question for us to answer. Do you know where you're going? See, Peter is passionate that his readers get this. I have left my old life behind that leads to destruction. I am heading... To the celestial city, heaven, with an inheritance that it awaits, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Perhaps we live in the most uncertain times of our generation, do we? What's true? What can I trust in? Politics, governments, pensions, house prices, global stock markets... What can I be certain in today? See what Peter says. See what Matthew says. See what Paul says. See what the women say. The resurrection is true. It's true. And so Christians should be the saddest community on earth because we understand the ravages of sin on one hand and the most joyous community on earth because we see the awe of the glory of God through Christ and his resurrection and the inheritance that awaits us. Absolutely certain. Let's finish by just drilling in to this certainty. I remember when I was 19 years old, in one week I went to two funerals. Richie Jones was a right winger in our football team. We came to training one night and the manager took us aside and said, young Richie, the day before, had tragically died in the car accident, headlong into a tree. He was dead on the scene on that previous Saturday I'd been playing with him I played centre midfield and he played on the right and we had something going one twos one twos cross get round him Richie good lad and that week some of the players took the coffin of Richie Jones on their shoulders and walked into the church and we walked into the church with his favourite song playing Most of you won't know it, but if you want to check out the words later, it's Driftwood by Travis. Tragic song. And I remember the moment as we walked in with a coffin on our shoulders. Here's the lyric that we walked into. The song said, and you really didn't think it would happen. But it really is the end of the line. So I'm sorry That you've turned to driftwood. Oh, how desperately sad. To my knowledge, Richie Jones didn't trust in Jesus, didn't trust in the cross, didn't trust in the resurrection. Oh, how desperately 
sad was that moment of carrying in the body of Richie Jones. And later, that week was the second funeral. The funeral of my nana, Nana Lancaster. And as we carried her coffin in that week, on that day, the same week, this was the tune that was playing. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give you back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. You see the resurrection? It enables us to live gloriously today. And you see the resurrection? It ensures a glorious future ahead. Is it too good to be true? I wonder who will you put your trust in? The testimony of the women? The testimony of the soldiers? You see how much is riding on it. Oh, that we would live glorious lives. And oh, that we would... Remember and focus on the glorious future ahead of us. The inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. I'm going to pray and as I do, the band are going to come up. We're going to sing a song as we walk through that Easter week, the journey in Jerusalem right to the resurrection truth. And then we're going to listen to two stories, testimonies of Josh and Abby as they talk about how the truth of the resurrection um, has affected them, affected them enough for them to trust wholeheartedly in it. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can read these words and we know that 